Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. And... We have an NFL draft that's going on tonight. We will be back on Monday uh, with some of our thoughts. We laid them out in our own NFL draft preview, which if you are uh, if this Friday and you, you want to get a little, uh, you know, a little after the draft listen, you can go and do that. Uh, we'll be back again Monday with our NFL draft thoughts. Today, hitting some headlines and uh, and breaking down a little bit further some of the things that we've been writing about, plus some mailbag questions coming up at the end. Uh, Barton, Tom, gentlemen, how are we doing? Uh, we're doing great. Doing fantastic. Uh, can I just say this podcast has been, has been great for me because when I go on the 24-7 sports message boards, because in the old days, I was – not the old days. I still am. Like – uh, the only thing that people know me as is the person that drops their commits. Like they just all hate me. <laughs> I'm just this robot that's there to impart pain and suffering in their fan base by dropping a guy 20 spots. And that's my only purpose in life. And now anytime there's a thread that's 10 pages long about how, what a terrible person I am and how biased I am and how I'm a homer of the rival program – Nowadays, there's at least like one, like one or two people will always chime in, and they'll say, "No, no, no, Barnes okay. I listen to Cover Three podcasts. Yes! Like he's a no- he's yeah. a normal guy. <laughs> like it, it humanizes me. It has humanized me to the people that listen. And for those people out there that are are that have my back now, all of a sudden in some of these debates, and you know I'm not just a robot that hates your school. Thank you, and thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I got a little bit of that. There was a there 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 was a um, I actually brought some good news to the Michigan site recently. Just on a guy I was predicting to commit there, and like there was a bunch of people that were like, "Hey, Barton's cool. Like I, I like your podcast." And you know, it's pleasant. That's a pleasant reprieve from the old like doom and gloom that most board posters have for me. I mean the the I'm going to open myself up now. The typical message board poster is usually not happy with things. <laughs> like they're happy they're happy the day that somebody commits for like a couple hours and then the other 99% of the time they're just mad at the coach or you know some other team doing something or a commit who didn't or a recruit who didn't commit all that kind of stuff the only time a person on a message board in college sports is happy is the day somebody commits that's but it I, I think people forget that we're like we're actual people like we are human we're like we're human beings and uh you know we we like music and have favorite movies and 
you know, have dogs and stuff. They, they were not just like the, just these take, take bots that, that hate your team. So it's sometimes like, I think they, it's, it's a nice little, like they get reminded that like, Oh, these guys are just guys. Yeah. The yeah. cover three listeners. We appreciate when you do a good job of, uh, you know, spread it, humanizing us to, uh, everyone else. <laughs> like I, it, you, if you spend an hour with us twice a week, over a long period of time, as we've seen from some of our like fantastic mailbag questions, you get a pretty good sense for uh, us, our likes, our interests, and what's going to make us laugh and what's going to, you know, pique our interest in terms of stuff to talk about. So we we appreciate you spreading the uh, spreading the good word to everybody else on the message boards. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yes. Keep it coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, those high school rankings and the message boards, one of the big, biggest news stories of the week came from former Clemson commit Corey Foreman has decommit. Now, there's a there's some subtext to this in terms of you know how this highlights uh, Clemson's own approach to recruiting. Um, there also is the fact that. Clemson's still going to be in the running for Corey Foreman. And Corey Foreman, though, also has Ohio State and others among the schools that would be very interested for his commitment. Barton, the as the story unfolded, did it get your attention in a way that felt major, even if we were in the normal uh, hum and drum of a late April news cycle? Or do you think that this story – how much, how much do you think that the impact of this story is across college football? Well, let's just give you a little bit of context here. So the last cycle, uh, the University of Miami, for example, had – give me a second here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Had 19 decommitments last cycle in the class of 2020, University of Miami. Um, that's That's probably on the high end, but – Decommitments take place a lot. Um, Miami, that like that's not abnormal for Miami to have 19 decommitments. They 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 typically have a few. Uh, Clemson hasn't had a decommitment at all since 2016. None. That's right. In 2016, the decommitment was academic related. It was Cordarian Richardson. He ended up at. UCF or was it Texas A&M and then UCF? I can't remember. Either way, it was an academic-related decommitment. The last time Clemson had like a purely just a guy backing out of his decision was 2014. That's insane that they're able to have that little turnover in their recruiting classes. Corey Foreman, the number one player in the country, according to 24-7 Sports Composite, another just monster defensive lineman, from Southern California at that, you know, just further feels like Clemson is starting to, you know, add even more ammunition to its to its recruiting quiver. And now he decommits. And I think it says first of all, it's just like crazy that oh, like anytime Clemson's a decommitment, it's just right. eye But secondly, I think it's a it's a little bit of an indication that Hey, a maybe USC has some life, which we've 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 indicated. If you Trojans listen to the Pac-12 twenty twenty one, you know there's some there's there's a little bit of life in the Trojans. A and B, I think it's a little bit. There's like some coronavirus related implications here in the sense that just the general 
feel nationwide right now and and the general rhetoric talk news whatever i think it's going to influence kids to be more inclined to stay close to home and i've talked about that before in terms of just the way it, it it's could influence kids based on like just pure advantages that local schools have because kids aren't going to have the opportunity to visit as many other places and those sort of things but i think and this is not specific to Corey Foreman. This is more of me just just adding my own like hunch here. But I just think that this you know this guy's about to go across the country during a and and, and we're in the midst of a pandemic. Like I, I can just see that being like you know what Corey like why don't you stay home man like let's who knows what's going to happen let's 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 stick a little closer to the home base. Um, again, that's my interpretation. That is I'm not that's not reporting. Sure. Um, but that's just it just feels like that could be something we see a little more of. What do you think? Do you think that that is something that's nationwide or do you think that that like that that's going to be pretty much across the board, right? That's not going to be specific to any one area, one state or one region or one conference that's going to get discriminated against. You're saying that pretty much across the board that if you are um if you're in Florida and you were considering going to Michigan, you might be more likely to go to somewhere in Florida. And if you were uh, in Pennsylvania, but looking at going to Stanford, that you might find somewhere closer to home. Like you're, you're talking all across the entire country, right? I think so. And I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, I've discussed, like I said, like, yes, I mean, the bus tours are grounded right now. The official visits aren't taking place. The, the opportunity to get on campus. It's not like don't go to South Carolina. Home. They've got the Corona there. Right. No, no, no. It's okay. not like that. Yeah. It's more about. It, so there, there's all those logistical reasons where it's just harder to get a comfort level at some of these schools. But I'm also thinking about it from a terms of just, hey, I'm sitting home with mama during the coronavirus pandemic and we're looking at schools and mama's saying, hey, baby doll, I, look, the, who knows what the world's going to look like next June. Let's just, just, you know what? Let's just stick close to home here. I, I wanna, I want you to be able to come see me. I want to be able to come see you. There, there's, there is so much uncertainty in college football right now, and in just general national health that I don't feel quite as comfortable shipping you off to, you know, a thousand miles away when we can head right down the road. That's so, just a that's just a hypothesis. So, what other so, schools are in the run? Sorry, Tom, go ahead. No, I, I was I was about to ask him a similar question. Is like well, based on what you know, Clemson or at USC? Which where is he going? I mean, first of all, like there's even like so I, I don't want to that USC would be the the hunch here. That's that seems to be where some buzz is right now. I think they've got a little momentum, but with Corey Foreman specifically. You know, Alabama still in it, LSU still in it, Oregon. Like so, there's, like I could make that whole spiel, and then the Corey Foreman specific situation, he might end up at freaking LSU. Like, so I don't want to, I, I don't want to uh, position this conversation too specifically around Corey Foreman. I just think it's like an interesting footnote to to the macro of what's going on in recruiting. Uh, but yeah, I think Corey Foreman, like if I'm a, a fan of anyone right now, the, the, the school that I would be most encouraged by is, is if I'm a USC fan. What do you think about him as a player? 
mean, obviously he's number one, but I mean, what's the what's what's your what's your quick quick take on him? I don't know. He's probably he's probably your Chase Young. Like he's your that's kind of what he he's he's just this huge, thick, thick limbed, thick lower half, athletic has been dominant in these all star camps against upperclassmen for two years. He's plays at a big time program in California. Like he's he's elite. He's all the way legit. Thick with a CK or thick with two C's? Uh, this, is the two C's thick? Like, is there is there specific places I'm supposed to use that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know to step out of line here. <laughs> two uh, two C's is like uh, Christian Wilkins. Yeah, he chomp. Yeah, he's got it. This he's this is more this is more like a pass rusher that is like a like a a tree <laughs> like, a, like a tree rushing the quarterback basically um interesting so we'll keep our eyes on the uh, on the Corey Foreman recruitment for sure uh Tom Fernelli has a series ongoing at cbssports.com that you probably caught the first couple editions of trying to identify the dark horse teams for 2020 and uh, I wanted to as as we kick around some of the teams that you're writing about but want to start with Texas A&M because we've not gotten to Texas A&M yet in our breakdowns where I definitely feel like it has informed some of our conversation about a USC or about a Virginia Tech so far. Texas A&M is the like Groundhog Day uh, Mm -hmm. dark horse team. Yeah. I mean, they I feel like the every ground- year is the year Texas A&M is going to, you know, this I is guess. the year. You know what I, I mean? Guess. Except for last year. No one was saying that last year because of the schedule. Correct. But yes, I, I hear you. And yeah, it's, that was like when I was trying to identify teams for the series that I'm doing, and it's like as Texas A&M was one that kept popping up, but there was also the bet in the back of my mind, like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> it's the same thing every year. Texas A&M, don't, don't let them fool you. But it was just, yeah, the closer you look, at the situation in College Station going into 2020, assuming, you know, a typical normal college football season, there's a lot to like about Texas A&M. Not, you know, I'm not sitting here. When I call a team a dark horse, I'm not saying they're going to win the division. They're going to win the conference. They're going to go to the playoff. It's just I'm saying that the ability for that to happen and the chance of that happening is a lot better than, you know, you might be willing to think just based on recent history or overall history in the long run. Because if, if we look at A&M, this is what Jimbo's third season. Okay. And he's really stepped up the recruiting game for the Aggies that they've had really good classes the last few years, but more so than that, we mentioned last year, the one reason everybody kind of wrote them off was because of their schedule. They were playing Clemson. They were playing Alabama. They were playing LSU. They were playing Georgia. It was an impossible schedule, no matter how good you are, to think that Texas A&M was going to get through, only lose one game at most, get to the SEC, maybe go to the playoff. But the schedule this year is a lot kinder. You know, you still have to play LSU and Alabama, and they're both at the end of the season, which is scary. They're in back-to-back weeks at the end of the year. But if you look at Texas A&M's schedule, just based on talent, they open with Abilene Christian. That should be a win. North Texas should be a win. Colorado should be a win. Arkansas should be a win. Their first road game is at Mississippi State. Maybe it's a loss, but it should be a win. Then at home against Fresno. Then I would think they lose on the road against Auburn, 
I think they would beat South Carolina, and I think they would beat both Ole Miss and Vanderbilt at home. So we're looking at a situation where they could enter the final two games of the season at Alabama versus LSU at 9-1. and one. And a, part of the reasons I think this is Kellen Mond is like the veteran quarterback in the SEC West this year. Joe Burrow's gone. Two is gone. Bo Nix is only a sophomore. Mississippi State is working in an entirely new offense. That's probably not going to be super smooth to start. Lane Kiffin is kind of rebooting Ole Miss, and Arkansas is getting a reboot in Sam Pittman. So you look at this team, not only do they have a lot of experience, but they've also got the most experienced quarterback. And while Kellen Mond certainly has his deficiencies, you would hope going into his senior season that he's going to take a slight step forward and improve. And if that happens, you combine that with the kinder schedule. You look at the recruiting classes that they've brought in. This is a team that it's possible, in my mind, to see Texas A&M in the top 10 entering the last month of the season and finding itself in a position where when it's playing Alabama and when it's playing LSU late in the year, there could be a lot on the line in those games, not just divisional. I mean, like, playoff berth-wise. So is your dark are your dark horse candidates um, are you talking about dark horses for the playoffs or just are you talking about um, dark horses to have much better seasons than anyone is anticipating? I, I I'm not using the playoff as like this team can get there. I'm using it more of this is a team that is capable of winning its conference and most people are overlooking it. Yeah, no, I, I mean I, I agree wholeheartedly with the A and M thing. Uh, schedule is huge. I think the roster. I mean, they're returning. I think. I think they're returning 19 starters, and I bet you. I don't know the number. Let's just say of those 19 starters, I bet four plus maybe lose their job to someone else. Mm-hmm. Ter- meaning, like that's just they got depth. They've they've got players that are going to be able to beat out guys with experience. They've got they've got a good roster right now. Uh, the question with AM is quarterback. Yeah. I mean, it's just, is, can Kellen, can, because Ke, sometimes Kellen Mond uncorks a first round NFL football. And is, is, is he going to be a, that guy more often than, than not? Nah. I mean, you know, you don't, you're not buying it, huh? Nah. I think it's so funny. The, the, the whole, so Kellen Mond, Zach Calzada, James Foster, Haynes King, that's sort of their quarterback room right now, King being the freshman. They're all insanely talented, and not a one of them has any consistency about them. So it's just <laughs> such a boomer bust quarterback room led by the bigger, biggest boomer bust quarterback in college football in Kellen Mott. I feel like it is perfectly Texas A&M to start the beginning <laughs> of November very much in the mix. You know, maybe that's a little late, right? Normally, Texas A&M... It's usually October. Yeah, it's about... It's mid-October. It's going down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that that could be a big... Maybe that's the, you know, uh, lose big, lose small, win small, win big. Maybe the win small is to extend that that window or that peak on the curve to... Uh, over, over on into the beginning of November. But I, to me, tech, the story with Texas A&M, where you finish with them at the end of the season is all going to depend on, how, did you beat Alabama? Did you beat LSU? Did you beat Auburn? And then like until, until those questions are yes more often than no, then you just you got a really good roster and an 8-4 and four record. 
It's not good. If they're eight and four this year, oh man, that's going to be a, that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, if they're eight and four this year, that's. I mean, they should. I think at most, if we're being honest, in the regular season, they should be nine and three. I think you could look at the Auburn road game, Alabama road game, and LSU game at home and say, okay, those are three games that if they lose, you're not really holding it against them. If they lose any of the other nine games then it's a very disappointing season. But I just think that if things go right, and again, they're not who I would pick to win the division. Right, I just sure. think that if, yeah, you're, yeah. if you're breaking it down probability-wise, maybe people think Texas A&M's got a 5% chance of winning the division, and I'm saying it's closer to 15. Um, yeah, I think if they're 8-4, and four, that's wildly disappointing. I think if they're 9-3 and three and haven't beaten any of the – of the the bit you know hadn't beat didn't beat LSU or Alabama or I guess Auburn, then that's I think LSU, I think A and M fans would be very disappointed as mm-hmm. well. We'll see. But, I mean, as far as like the cross divisional, you know, like swapping out Georgia for Vanderbilt <laughs> as your as your random East opponent, it doesn't get much more beneficial than that as far as scheduling in the SEC. Do you still have their schedule pulled up? What's in the look ahead yeah. spot right before the final two games? Vandy. Oh yeah. Let's go, Commodores. That's your spot right there. <laughs> Give See, that, me. Is that, is that in College Station or is that in Sleepy Dudley Field? It's, it's in College Station. Oh, okay. maybe less so. But. So I mean I think I think right now the three of us might be taking Vandy to cover, but since it's in College Station, I don't think they would lose it. It might be a little you know a little closer than anybody thinks it should be though. <laughs> we'll see. All right, you also have so you've already written about USC. You've already written about Texas A and M. Have you written about Virginia Tech yet? No, although we have discussed it a little bit. Yeah, on, on here, the coast in our preview and a couple weeks ago, but it's. As I said in the preview of the ACC Coastal, Virginia Tech was a close loss to Virginia away from winning the division last year. They lost that game by nine despite turning the ball over four times. They've got a ton of returning experience, especially on defense. They completely, they were so much better at as overall as a team with Hendon Hooker at QB once he took over. And their schedule in the ACC is not easy, but it's not like a back-breaking schedule either. So I think that's a team that in my mind, is very much capable of winning the Coastal. And I know, like, we've talked about it, too. Everybody, you guys are on North Carolina. A lot of people are on North Carolina. And I'm just not ready to crown North Carolina as the favorite in that division. I still think it's Virginia Tech. Oh, it's just way more fun to not be a hater right now. Yeah. Local. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm just going to let myself get sucked up into this <laughs> yeah. North Carolina <laughs> Just total wave. Just take me. Just take me out to sea. Let's that go, Carolina yeah. blue wave. It's so pleasant. It really is. You know. Yeah, it's like a. It's like a. It's like a lazy river ride. You know? yes. Just sitting there with a cooler beer next to me, drinking in my lazy river, just singing the whatever the North Carolina fight song is. Yeah, Mac, Mac Brown telling you stories. Yeah, I was gonna say Mac Brown's on the other inner tube, going, "Hey, this is fun. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't this right. the life? Ain't this fun?" Um, nah, that's the, the argument for Virginia tech is, uh, I like it because it's fascinating to not, it's, it'd be fascinating and a great thing for Virginia tech, for Justin Fuente, um, for everybody there. If this thing goes from like the discomfort of Justin Fuente Baylor 
Justin Fuente is not going to Baylor. The discomfort of that moment within that fan base, um, which is a which is a prideful, uh, prideful, yeah, prideful, a prideful fan base to go from that to being being in happy spirits again would be a fine example for the growing chapter in football history that says uh, winning can solve a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. So okay, A and M clearly. Virginia Tech, I get it. So the the other, I want to throw out the three others that I think are con, are potential like playoff dark horses, and I actually don't even care about spending that much time on them. But I, I think y'all all agree. Like a, we've talked about Oklahoma State a little bit. Uh, Oklahoma State would be one. USC, we talked about that would be one for me. Once we get into the Big Ten, you know, maybe we can talk about Minnesota as a potential dark horse. Those are three. Minnesota's one schedule-based that I kind of like. But those are three uh, high-end, dark horse, high-ceiling types on the national landscape. So y'all can, if y'all have any thoughts, feel free. But there's also, I want to throw like five other teams at you. Because when when you talked about talking dark horses here, Mm -hmm. I wanted to come up with a few more that that caught my attention. And I'm, I'm curious your y'all's reactions to these other five I came up with. Okay. So what define dark horse before you throw it out so that so we know I where you are coming from dark horse in the sense of a could be contender to win their conference. Um, and B basically just a program that no one is really talking about that could be in the national conversation at a meaningful point in the season. So that is that, w- is that a, is that a uh, arbitrary enough definition Works for me? Yeah. It's like Texas A&M very relevant to, to yeah. a point. All right. So first I'm going to, I'm going to throw five names at you guys and you can, you can respond with the, uh, with your audible reactions of a, <laughs> eh, or, a, uh, or a, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Cause I'm just curious your reaction to these teams. And then, and then I'll, I'll give you my, my thoughts on them. All right. So, First off, how about Florida State? Eh. I'm good with it. I mean, yeah. I considered them. I considered them when I was doing, you know, I I went with Virginia Tech because my, my approach was I went through all the conferences trying to figure out who it was going to be. And Florida State, it, I was between FSU and VT. Okay. How about South Carolina? Eh. No. <laughs> Wait. How it, about? Okay, we'll keep going. How? Yeah, we'll, we'll circle back to them. How about Kentucky? Oh. Yeah, that's kind of about what I thought. Mm-hmm. How, how about Indiana? <laughs> oh, okay. See, I can't say I expected that. My concern with Indiana, though, because, again, that was another team I considered. They got to get past Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. Fair. And, man... That's that's a very 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 dark horse in my mind to think that anybody, especially Indiana, is going to be able to do that in one year. No doubt, get it. All right, so here's a lot. But here, but uh, the the rebuttal on Indiana, I don't have their schedule pulled up, but I think if I recall correctly, Indiana has a chance to be like. If they could upset Wisconsin, I want to say Wisconsin is like week two or something. Week one, they're opener. Week one. All right. If they can pull an upset with Wisconsin, which isn't like crazy, but if they can pull that upset, they would be, I want to say, prop more than likely seven and zero heading into 
Halloween against Penn State in Happy Valley. But here's the thing. They've got to play. They open the season with Wisconsin on the road. When? And they get both Ohio State and Michigan on the road. Yeah, but those are but those are after Penn State, though. Yeah. So, like, think, think about that in the sense of, like, let's just, let's just say they beat Wisconsin, okay? If they beat Wisconsin and they build up all this feeling good for seven straight wins heading into Penn State, then we just start to sort of recalibrate how we look at Indiana. And I'm not – I'm just – Yes, it doesn't make the, the, the back end any easier. I'm just saying that could talk about a dark horse. Like, that's a game day is going to be there. You know, game day sitting there mm-hmm. waiting for for an Indiana Penn State game if Indiana is 7 0. So, that was my thought process. Here, here's the last one, uh, and then we can revisit any of these. Northwestern. Mm, no. <laughs> okay. So, I actually, this is the one I'm actually most excited about. <laughs> All right, I haven't even looked at the schedule, okay? <laughs> but hear me out. Oh, I'm God. looking at it right now, just to let you know. Okay, so yeah, yeah maybe, maybe the schedule is a murderer's row, and I'm not, and I'm not thinking about it. But I, I actually had a an off-field guy um, in in the SEC hit me up and just was sort of chatting with me about this, and and was was talking about how. Basically, with all this this stuff going on and like the no spring practice and not being around your team and everything, like who are the programs that could actually actually be able to succeed through this? Who could struggle through this the most? And he made the point that the the programs with a great culture, with a lot of senior leadership and experience, are going to be able to really thrive in this. Where I mean, when you think about, let's just say an LSU, who's got no offensive identity, who's got a ton of guys leaving for the NFL draft, who's got a ton, has to find a bunch of new leaders in the locker room. Like th- these, th- those are the teams that could, you know, have some issues with this. So when you're thinking about just in terms of expectation versus results, look, Northwest was terrible last year. Uh, in fact, the, the the guy I was talking to had mentioned this would be a, the perfect Mark D'Antonio year, where you know just the the grit and grind of Michigan State, the most disciplined program, is they, the one that emerges yeah. on top. Just yeah, because they got a bunch of guys that have been you know playing and they got some walk on starting and whatever. So uh, with Northwestern, a they they have a competent quarterback in Peyton Ramsey, who transferred over from Indiana. They they do have a new offensive coordinator, but. And, and so there's that to overcome, but he's a better offensive coordinator than what they had. Um, and they have one of the best coaches in college football if you're just trusting Pat Fitzgerald to have his team prepared and, and playing sort of it's you know the best it can. Uh, and they're and looking at Bill Conley's returning production deal. They're like a top 10 team in returning production, or maybe they're top five. Uh, so I just... I'm just presenting it as you know, maybe you buy a little Northwestern stock. I I think Northwestern's going to be a lot better than it was last year. I I don't think this is a team that's going one and eight in the Big Ten again. I just I mean I think they're hoping for four and five. But look, Northwestern has has they've they've, they've won ten games. Like when was what, oh yeah like when was the last time they won ten games? Not oh, long ago. They won the, the Big Clayton Ten West. Is gone. And they win, but they have Peyton Ramsey. 
and they win 10 games with teams you don't understand how they just won 10 games with. No, so that too- would not be unprecedented. It's not like they like they, they just sort of have these perfect seasons with the roster all comes together and they send a bunch of guys to the league. No, it's just it's the same bunch of boring-looking players they usually try it out. They just find ways to win. Is Dan Graziano still there? Yeah. <laughs> I think. He He's might be 33. <laughs> as far as I know, Dan Graziano is never leaving. <laughs> all right, so I want to go back to South Carolina. All right, so South Carolina, here's my one my, – I, I don't know that I believe South Carolina. I, I was just talking to a coach recently who said, you know, watch out for South Carolina because Will Muschamp in his entire coaching career as a head coach, I don't know how many years it is, I don't have his profile pulled up, has never had a decent offensive coordinator. And I, Mike Bobo is, like what, what, whatever your opinion of him is, or whatever our opinion of him is, I do uh, – I, I – I am under the impression he is highly respected in the coaching circles and is probably going to be Will Muschamp's best offensive coordinator he's ever had. So if you just consider that Will Muschamp, like if you just give him a little bit of this, you know what, he might be the good coach that everyone tries to always convince us that he is. And now he's got an offensive coordinator that is, is, can, can move the football a little bit then, hey, like maybe, maybe you consider South Carolina a better team than, than maybe expected. That's, I'm not saying I believe in that. I just think it was an interesting point that was brought up to me. You ready for this? Yeah. South Carolina's road schedule in 2020. Kentucky, Florida, Fandy, LSU, Clemson. How many of those games are they winning? Uh, <laughs> Vandy. Let's give them Vandy. Yeah, they, uh, they could lose the other four. They could. So now they we're already one four. Would. They've got Georgia at Oof. home, Tennessee at home. I mean, again, this is they've they've got the same problem they had last year, which is the problem A and M faced, where they're playing Clemson, LSU, and Georgia. And they've also then you've got to add you know Florida in the mix, the Tennessee team that's going to be improved. That is that is a murderous schedule. I also think that in I South Carolina, you know, South Carolina is not alone with this with Will Muschamp because I believe it's going to be a great test for our beloved Georgia Bulldogs too as we continue to sit and get excited about this wide open Jamie Newman led Todd Munkin offense with Matt Lucas. Uh, the offensive line coach and just sort of spreading it out and modernizing and everything else is that it will they be allowed to cook or will Kirby just not be able to help himself and the influence be made? We've seen it where, um, you know, it's it took Nick Saban a little while to to really fully trust and, and, and hand over the reins uh, or at least, you know, bring himself to a place where he was comfortable with the the pace and the style of the offense. And we've seen it with a lot of other defensive coaches before. If, if Will Muschamp, like, absolutely lets Mike Bobo move the ball the way he wants to, that's great. But if the defense starts getting tired, I could see Will Muschamp's putting the brake on him just looking out for his side of the ball. Yeah, but it's not like it's not like Mike Bobo is is uh, breakneck tempo. Riles. I mean, that's I don't think that that's what he's bringing. Is like some hey, like 
you know, rip the governor off this thing. Let's we're about to we're about to turn it up. I think it's I think it's more of like, all right, Mike Bobo knows how to coach in the SEC. He knows that it's it's about finding ways to win, not seeing how many points you can score. And so I would I would think that the whole theory behind Mike Bobo finally being a good offensive coordinator is the idea that he's an offensive coordinator that can work with Will Muschamp and find ways to win games. Yeah, I was not saying that specifically for Mike Bobo as a tying him to a scheme because I don't know what Mike Bobo would be tied to. I mean, you play, you've, you lead an offense in the mountain West as a head coach. I mean, you've sworn off all schemes altogether. You're just playing bet. You know what ball out there. Yeah, they did. They, 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 he, there were a few wild Colorado state games under the Mike Bobo regime. His offense. Yeah. His offenses would Mm -hmm. get moving and then there'd be some backbreaking interceptions. Yeah. Yeah. KJ Carter Samuels would chuck and duck that thing (laughs) a lot. Yeah. So I mean, I'm 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 not uh, I'm not promising any any guarantees on the uh, on the Mike Bobo offense because I've got no idea what to expect. He's got a fresh uh, a fresh fresh plate in my book. Um, Okay. So Tom, are there any more Bartons that you want to go back to? Or I guess we we didn't hit on Purdue or Houston from your list. Yeah, I, I considered Minnesota for mine, but my prob- the reason I couldn't do it is because, I mean, they went 11-2 and two last year. So it's like, can we really consider them a dark horse? I think, I think if you're looking at Minnesota as a dark horse, it's from the perspective of people are probably think – there's a lot of people who probably think Minnesota was a one-hit wonder. And I think we're very much in agreement on this podcast that I don't think the three of us, any of us think that. I think we both expe- – all three of us expect Minnesota to be a significant team in the Big Ten in 2020. So for my dark horse, I went for Purdue simply because – as I'm a Jeff Brom fan, but if we look at what happened with Purdue last year, they had at least you know three quarterbacks that had to throw at least 100 passes or play in five games. They were devastated by injuries there. Rondale Moore only played in four games, so they were th- they were without their best player for two thirds of the season. And if you look at the West, I think Wisconsin is still going to be Wisconsin. Minnesota is still going to be good, but Iowa is replacing a four-year starter at quarterback, and it's likely to take a small step backwards. I wouldn't be surprised if Illinois takes a slight step backwards. Northwestern, we're still kind of in the open. Nebraska, I'm done ever trying to figure out what Nebraska is before season starts at any point. So I just look at Purdue as a team that is completely being overlooked that I think could, you know, jump up and be a real pain in the butt in the Big Ten West this year. And yeah, finally, my last dark horse was Houston because, you know, it's easy to write off Houston, but you kind of forget that last year they were essentially tanking. They were kind of losing on purpose, not to gain a draft pick, but they were just, Dana was trying to reset everything to get his guys in there. Derek King sat out for the entire season and then transferred. And while they sucked last year, if you look at the AAC as a whole, just talent-wise, it's like Houston and UCF are probably the two most talented teams in that conference. And I think that when you get to group of five conferences, we've talked about returning experience for a lot of these power five programs and i think that's important at every level but i think it's a little more important at the group of five level especially when you're very you have a talent advantage over most of the teams you're facing and i think houston does so when you look at memphis losing mike norvell probably taking a slight step back not i don't think they're going to fall off the map or anything but i just think that houston is in a position where this is a team that could be not just competing for the aac but could be competing for that new year six spot that i think is being a little too overlooked so my only thing about Purdue is I continue to be impressed with the way they've recruited. I continue to be impressed with like they're going to have another 
this kid named Malik Carr is like they had Rondell Moore, then they had um, uh, David. What, why am I breaking on their other receiver's name that, that balled out this past year as a freshman? Um, David. Uh, Hold on, I, I know who you're talking about, but I don't remember his name either. <laughs> uh, Bell, David Bell, is that who it was? It was David Bell, 86 yeah. catches, 1,035 yards. Yeah, so they had Rondell Moore as a true freshman. They had David Bell ball out as a true freshman. This year they're going to have a guy named Malik Carr come in who's like a 6'5", 230-pound receiver that we ranked as a tight end, but he's athletic enough to be a receiver. Like They've got this crazy loaded skill group. Yeah, they might have the best receiver set in the Big Ten outside of Ohio State. But here's the thing, though. The, the reason I can't get on board with Purdue is is they their their offensive line is showing no signs of being any better, mm-hmm. and their and their defense is still a question mark. Now, granted, that's another spot. Like they got George Karlaftis, who was one of the best freshmen in college football last year. So, like they have these individual players that are really good. I just I need to see a little more defensively and offensive line wise to to get me super stoked about Purdue. Is All that, valid. Yeah, is that going to be the uh, the Jeff Brom experience? Might be. You just, know, I mean, like that's that's that fun is, for Purdue. That's like that's fun. Yeah, that's a great fan experience. Yeah, you know, you got you, you got a bad defense. You can score a lot of points. You got exciting playmakers. Let's go, man. Yeah, where's my, where's the tickets? We've got uh, we've got the second best set of skill position players in the big 10 and we've got the second to last defense. Come on in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Never know what's going to happen here. Uh, all right. Coming up on the other side, breaking down some of the freshmen that you need to watch and answering some of your mailbag questions in a very special episode of the mailbag next. All right, Barton, you were on impact freshman duty it kind of feels like when you get asked to put together these pieces, the the thing that always interests me is some of the next questions. And you answer some of these in your piece, so be sure. Uh, if you didn't catch it at cbssports.com on the first run, uh, I don't know, Google Barton Simon Impact Freshman. He's probably written three a year uh, every single year. You can read them all. They're great. Um, I I like to figure out what the, the next step of the, you know, what – we should expect them to be impact freshmen. What would that impact be? So how many of the impact freshmen, as you like put the list together, were coming out that were the easiest ones to write down where you're like, yes, because not only are, is there a chance that they're going to have an impact, but there's almost a guarantee that they're going to be put in a position to have an impact. Well, I think the, like the ones that were easiest to put were probably the, the Clemson guys. Um, because, Clemson's defensive line wasn't as good as we were used to it being. Um, and it, it's it, these guys are coming in on the defensive line. Like you got the number one player in the country literally coming in, Brian Brzee. Uh, and and not only that, but they Clemson got nine practices in before. Like they basically got a full spring practice session in. And so that's pretty big to be able to get these guys um, acclimated to things and so and and secondly like we like we've gotten some verification some validation that these guys are flashing like brian brzee was a little banged up to start and he he the tail end of spring practice he started really flash and then this other kid miles murphy was like apparently just totally dominant from from the start as an edge rusher and so 
those guys, I, I, I think, will transform the Clemson defense back into sort of what we remember it as two years ago. Not to say it wasn't good this past year, but it was good in a totally different way, with a, almost a totally different scheme. I think we go back to just having just overwhelming people on the defensive line with with these guys coming in. Um, and then I'd say the other one that's just the most obvious name to mention was probably uh, Eric Gilbert, who's going to LSU, who's a tight end, who's our highest rated tight end of all time, who will fit it, fill in for Thaddeus Moss and be just you know maybe even better, um, assuming that the quarterback play is is, is solid. So that uh, those are kind of where my attention is immediately drawn. The other the other class I think just from an impact class standpoint, like Utah lost so much off last year's team. And they actually brought in some highly regarded players that are that are ready now. Clark Phillips at cornerback being one who is an Ohio State commit. I, I think Utah is going to have some some freshmen to play. You can't quit Utah. Can't quit Utah. We're going to find. <laughs> we're going to shoehorn Utah into this pod some way or another. I mean, that's the thing with Utah. I even wrote about it in my you know a thing I did earlier for the NFL draft. It's like when I'm studying players now as I prepare for to watch the NFL draft and try to figure things out, I fall in love with Utah players over and over again. Same what with Washington. It, what is it about Utah players? That, you know, because the thing I love about, about the thing I look for first and foremost in a defensive player, aside from you know talent and all that stuff, is just motor. And that playing dog. every single snap. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And Utah is filled with those dudes every year. Why is that? Why oh. are, why are like, their philosophy, so man? Yeah. Nice. And then you go to Salt Lake City at night and it's it's just like a total madhouse. Yeah. No, and I, you see I, those guys play and they're just un, like they're just nasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's I, I love Utah players on defense. I mean, it, what about B. John Robinson, though? Do you think he's going to make a oh, at Texas, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean he's um, he. I put, I put him on my list. Uh, he, I mean, he was our number one running back in the country. Like the only reason I actually think probably the most, if I'm just picking fantasy running backs in college football, and I, you know, like we're putting the fantasy draft together for true freshmen, I probably go South Carolina alert here. This big South Carolina pod, uh, Marshawn Lloyd. I think because I, I suspect he's going to start. Also, also, the kid at Arizona State, Diamante Trianum. I think he's going to get a heavy workload as a true freshman. Those are two guys that the, the only reason I hesitate on Bijan Robinson is there's still uh, I don't know if he'll start at Texas. I think he'll be the best back on their roster, but are they ready to t- toss him in there ahead of Keontae Ingram and um, the uh, the kid that played quarterback in high school, uh, Roshan Johnson? Yeah, you know I don't I don't know, um, but I think he's. I, I think he is good enough to be a big time impact freshman for sure. Tom Herman's going to have three plays for Bijan Robinson for the Red River game. He may want to have more than three. <laughs> well, I don't know. They're probably going to have to be passing a lot <laughs> <laughs> for the first quarter. He has to get him in there. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, what about Bryce Young? Because you didn't mention Bryce Young there, and that was, I know he was in the piece, and I. Like, how many – do you think that Bryce Young will be the starting quarterback for Alabama? Do you think it will happen before the season starts? How do you imagine his impact on the 2020 Tide? Because you have Mac Jones there, but Bryce Young I, – I believe we have discussed throughout the Bryce Young sort of saga uh, – not saga, but throughout his recruitment, throughout his commitment, that he is 
a high end, higher ceiling player than Mac Jones. What's what's that Alabama quarterback job look like to you in 2020? Okay, if Bryce Young as the starting quarterback over under is four and a half games, let's say, like where where would you guys just initially take? Would you take under four and a half or over four? Over. I would. I'm a, I'm a Mac Jones stand. You would take so you would take you would take under chip you would take over yeah okay see I I mean yeah I think there's a there there's an avenue for both of these and bottom line is that Alabama's season starts Southern Cal at uh, neutral site then they got Georgia State then they got Georgia at home and then they've got Kent State I think by the time kickoff for Kent State we will know whether it's going to hit the over or the under on that number. Because if Mac Jones, you know, never blinks against USC, and if he wins against Georgia, then I don't know how you – I mean, he's probably got it for the rest of the way. But if we see – you know, if we see a a few – I don't know, cracks in the facade there against USC, even if they win, but there's maybe some shaky moments. You know, I would imagine Bryce would get a couple series just to, to uh, you know, get, get his feet wet and, and see what he can do. Um, I bet there'll be good series. And, and then, you know, when Georgia comes around, you need your best player out there to get through that defense, like whether whoever it is. And so I, I would suspect if – Bryce Young comes in and saves the day against Georgia, then that's your starter the rest yeah. of the way. But if they don't need him and Max holds him off, then how how do you how do you turn away from the guy that beat USC and Georgia two of the first three games of the year? It's big Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence feels for me, where it's going to start the year with Mac Jones, but we're going to see Bryce Young win that job by the beginning of October. I would expect that too, but again, like after you get through those games, then the October slate is Kent State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, but like will at Tennessee. So it's like when when are they going to need Bryce Young after those first three games? I think that we might react one way or another. I mean, I thought that Kelly Bryant showed everybody why he won the starting job in the way he helped out with the Texas A&M game, but that didn't change things that followed, which included him losing the starting job and, and deciding to leave. So I, I you know, if Mac Jones what? is a, a part of the Georgia win, I don't therefore think that it, he is incapable of losing that job to Bryce Young in the Kent State game or during practice uh, or the week after. The difference for me, though, in that comparison is that Trevor Lawrence, I mean, clearly Trevor Lawrence is like, you know, a number one NFL pick type of quarterback. I don't think Kelly Bryant was ever good enough as an overall complete package at quarterback. And I think that if you look at the Mac Jones, Bryce Young comparison, I think Mac Jones is good enough as a passer that he's not going to really hinder what Alabama can do on offense. Whereas I think after a time with Kelly Bryant and his inability to really get the ball downfield, throwing it, he became a hindrance that was kind of handcuffing what Clemson had the capability of doing on offense. And then it was like, okay, we need to get Trevor Lawrence in there because he's just the best guy for us. I think Bryce Young, based on everything I've been told, is going to be great. It's just I don't think Mac Jones is going to play poorly enough for them to say we have to get him out there. Sometimes, though, you don't lose the job. You just get beat. But it could it could reflect the same situation we saw 
a few years ago where Tua was there, but he never took the job from Jalen. It was just at the end of the year in the title game, and they're like, okay, we need the spark. We need the guy who can get us to come back in this game. That's when they turned to Tua. So maybe we would see that late in the year, but I still think Mac Jones is going to be the starter for Alabama. When Jordan, this, go ahead. If, if, Saban, if Saban really thinks this is a really good team, I, I would get like he didn't have there was no spring practice this year. There's no spring game for Bryce Young to come in and just totally win over the entire Alabama fan base. There isn't this pressure to get him in. If if Mac Jones is good enough for them to to win it all with him, I, I think Saban will revert back to the old Saban and 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 try to go that route. So that he doesn't have to deal with the roster turnover at the court in the quarterback room that it would create to start the true freshman, uh, and so if if like if he doesn't think that Mac Jones is good enough, then I think that's when we see the you know the the Kelly Bryant route where maybe game four, once no one can transfer anymore, then then he's you know he switches out. It's going to be halftime. Georgia's going to be up. Maybe not a full two touchdowns, maybe just 13 points. Alabama's going to switch those quarterbacks again. The dogs are going to eat them alive. Oh, yeah, that's right. This is a pro Georgia podcast. <laughs> Go dogs. Um, it's going to be like a milk bone thrown into a pack of hungry dogs. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, let's see. You talked about the, the Utah guys. Eric Gilbert, any long shot? Anybody that you want to like, just that you felt like you were kind of betting on that maybe there aren't a lot of signs towards, like it's maybe not as obvious. Well, I, in terms of in that piece that I wrote for CBS, the probably the guy that is 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 one of the lower profile national names that speaks a little bit to my my budding. Pit allegiance that I'm sort of starting to water yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my side garden over here. Um, it's it's about uh, 20 yards away from the well, the Mississippi State well. Right. Is, is the pit right. side garden? Yes, it's just that's a, you know the it's the circle of life. Like the Mississippi <laughs> State well is feeding into my my pit garden, and <laughs> yeah. we're gonna keep this thing keep this train rolling. Jordan Addison, okay. I love this kid, and he flashed early in like the three pit spring practices that they did have. Um, I think he's he's going to be one of the best receivers. I think out the gates. Um, I also think Jalen Hyatt at Tennessee, like that guy's got elite speed at receiver, something they didn't really have. Um, I, I'll be curious if he gets in there. And then I'll throw you a few guys that weren't on the list. Um, Davin Van at NC State. Write this name down. Defensive lineman. I think he's their next like stud D lineman. Luik Fonji, who is a wide receiver that went to Texas Tech, he's a monster. And then Jonathan Horton at Virginia is a has been playing football for one year. Uh, he is a ferocious football player for one year in, and he attacks the rim on the basketball court too. So he is a fun watch if you've got a few minutes to just kind of wander around the internet in your quarantine life. Where's he from? Uh, He's from Louisiana, so he's got that Louisiana dog in him. He's heading to Virginia, and uh, I, I think I don't know if he's a, I don't know if he's a starter right off the out the gate, but 
he was a fun find when we dug him up late in the process. Well, Virginia, as we remember, bringing back a lot on defense, so not a not an immediate need. Right, right. This was good. It's probably good for him. Yeah. A kid from Baton Rouge ending up in Virginia. Bronco cheating? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I mean, that's clearly LSU probably had a bunch of other guys that they liked, but it's just it's surprising you think like a four star out of Baton Rouge is not gonna end up in Virginia. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> yeah. You know, LSU can't get all the all the fours in that state because you know, some of them are There's these too many of them. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Well, good on Bronco. I guess he uh, he saw saw them smashing rocks in the uh, Virginia locker room. Was like, man, I got to go be a part of that. <laughs> All right, turn into some mail before we get out of here. Remember, if you want to um, if you want to drop off a question for the mailbag, you can do so by leaving us a five star review. Uh, the first question comes from Patrick. Will Trevor Lawrence go down as the best college player ever? How many teams would Trevor Lawrence lead to the playoff or title if he was the quarterback and the rest of the roster was the same? I don't know about the best college player ever, but I did think this was an interesting question. How many teams plus Trevor Lawrence go from not being a playoff slash title contender to being a playoff slash title contender? So... Are we defining not being like what? How would you define Penn State? Like, is, is Penn State count or are they already a playoff slash title contender? That's the first team I thought of just because in a conversation here on the podcast, we were calling them one quarterback away. And if that right. Trevor, if that quarterback is Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, bleeping Lawrence, <laughs> then yeah, all of a sudden they turn into playoff like front runners. Like I'm picking them over yeah. Ohio State. So yeah, I think that's where the conversation starts. But I think that there's probably that that one's. That one stands out as a, as maybe an obvious choice, right? I mean, I, I think he would – yeah, Penn State is an obvious one. I think he would certainly solidify Oregon, although, I mean, I think Oregon right now is a contender simply based on the Pac-12. But I think that if you put this Oregon team in the 2020 Pac-12 with Trevor Lawrence, I think we've already you know, we've already printed the ticket. We're just about to send it to him. Uh, I think Notre Dame yeah. is a legit playoff team with Trevor Lawrence. I think Auburn is probably a legit playoff team with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I mean, again, yeah, it, it really depends on whether you consider teams to be playoff teams or not. Cause like, do you consider Florida contender? I mean, I think they're in a similar boat to Penn state. Yeah. And then I guess, I mean, Georgia, I think for sure, but I, I already consider Georgia to be one, of course, obviously. obviously. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, is he good enough? Like if Trevor Lawrence, if you put him on this Michigan roster right yes. now, Yes. You think Michigan's a playoff team? Yes. See, I'm not 100% convinced on that. I think it's – I don't think of Michigan uh, – What about Texas A&M, my dark horse? So, yes. Yes. I think, I think 100%. Yeah. Like, I, uh-huh. I, might, I might pick them in the playoffs. Yeah. They had trouble. Yeah. That's, um, that's a, great, a, a great selection in terms of, uh, in, t- in terms of everything else – just needing uh, extra an extra level of play at the quarterback possession. All right, let's just do it like this. Let's do it like this. All right. If Penn State got Trevor Lawrence, are you picking them in the playoffs? Yeah. I definitely – I mean, yeah, I, it greatly increases their odds. I, I still don't know if I'm putting them over Ohio State, though. Okay. If 
Texas A&M gets them, are you picking them in the playoffs? Yeah. I, I probably am. Probably am. If uh, if Florida had Trevor Lawrence, are you picking them in the playoffs? Yeah, maybe. I mean, just – I mean, I, I – I, Jesus. Uh, I, I tell you, you know, you know what? I, I think the answer Florida, is yes. I think the answer uh, is yes. I do, but for some reason I'm, I'm hesitant to say it. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's the thing with Florida. If if Florida has Trevor Lawrence, I don't think I'm picking them in the playoffs. However, if Florida has Justin Fields, I think I'm picking them in the playoffs because of coach, uh, just quarterback. because of match. Yeah, yeah. It just feels like a feels like a cleaner match. Um, While Jimbo with big old with big arm Trevor Lawrence and his popcorn muscles, that's tasty. <laughs> uh, exactly. What? So Michigan. Yes, with Trevor Lawrence. You're picking them in the playoffs uh, to win the playoffs. No, no, to get in the playoffs. Yeah, I'll, I'll pick. I think Michigan with Trevor Lawrence, I would pick to win the Big Ten. Because just because Ohio State still has Justin Fields. I know. Yeah, I still, I still think I'm going Ohio State's way because of that. Because I still think that overall talent wise, rest of the roster, Trevor Lawrence certainly evens the playing field at QB. But I still think Ohio State's better just about everywhere else on the roster. I, I think that I've seen Michigan fall close uh, or be so close on the thinnest of margins throughout the Jim Harbaugh era that the plus value of Trevor Lawrence would be would bring whatever intangibles and magic winning that needs to happen to take them over the top. I mean, they've had okay play at the quarterback position pretty much the entire time with an extra special quarterback. I think that that's enough for Michigan to get over the hump. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I don't hate that. I, I think it's, I think it's, that's an interesting one for sure. Uh, LSU. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. Repeating. Goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. LSU with, with Trevor Lawrence is run it back. All right. Not, uh, how about um, Notre Dame? Yes. Yes. I'm with you there. Okay. Now we're going to start to get into some some uh, some tougher ones here. How about – I actually kind of love thinking about this one. How about Auburn? You think Trevor Lawrence is running a lot against Ohio State? Wait till Gus gets his hands on him. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't want you throwing the ball, Trevor. We're going to use you as a running back. <laughs> now, Auburn's defense, uh, they bring back Big Cat Bryant, but I feel like – I mean, they've recruited well, but I if we're just picking for 2020, I might say no, even with Trevor Lawrence. But I think I would say no. Uh, I think that if it was an answer in the abstract, I would be more likely, more inclined to say yes. But no, I think the answer is no. I'm leaning I agree. yes. Wow, interesting. I just I I I still don't have confidence in Gus Malzahn with a passing quarterback. Just don't. Uh, all right, how about Oregon? Yes. Yeah. Who in the Pac-12 can challenge Oregon with, with Trevor, Trevor Lawrence? Lawrence? Yeah. <laughs> All right, agreed. Okay, now we're getting now we're getting even even more interesting here. Uh, what about Wisconsin? Oh, no. Ah, no. Uh, wait, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of like because they they're definitely winning the West, so they're like, definitely I actually, big yeah. title. I'm sort of I'm sort of sort of very on board with that. More I just so again, it's, others. 
it's a similar situation to what I had with Michigan, though. It's like, okay, so now they're facing Ohio State in the title game. Do I think Wisconsin with Trevor Lawrence is beating Ohio State? No. Yeah, Wisconsin with Russell made it to the Rose Bowl, but fell short of... Did they win the Big Ten Championship that year? Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I feel like uh, Trevor Lawrence, Wisconsin, plays in the Rose Bowl, but it's a year that the Rose Bowl isn't in the playoffs. Ohio State still in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. All right. What about I'll, Texas? Well, see, I didn't even I didn't even consider Texas because they've you know like they already have a quarterback. That's, that's what makes it an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. So you all right? Well, then that then if you're saying no with Trevor, then you're then you're pretty. You, I would assume you're pretty adamant that there's still a no. With Sam too, huh? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm about to light Chip's mentions on fire. I just want to recap: Texas A&M with Trevor Lawrence <laughs> going to playoff. Texas with Trevor Lawrence. No. Nah. So Chip underscore Patterson. <laughs> let him know what you think. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go here. I'm not sure that Texas is gonna trade Sam Ellinger for. Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> oh, come on. No, listen. How I, could you I, do that? He's he's the iconic yeah. Texas quarterback. <laughs> How could you trade him for Trevor Lawrence? I am a fan of Sam Ellinger. I like Sam Ellinger, but come on. This is like, I remember this is giving me flashbacks to a long time ago when there was rumors about the Bulls trading for Kobe Bryant and Bulls fans did not want to give up Luol Deng for him. <laughs> Well, Deng, very good player, was a wonderful player for the Bulls, but you give him up for Kobe Bryant every single time. I I think that, yep. we're, well, yeah, I mean, Texas still, I mean, we're picking for 2020, and I just, I don't know, man. I got to, I, I got to see it outside of, uh, outside of a good bowl win, you know? Gotta I'm just s- not going to pin... I'm not going to pin Texas, their, their their lack of reaching their ceiling on Sam Ellinger. Just I'm not, not going to do it. Not going to do it to my boy. But I think he very much raises the floor. And I think that if you give me, if you put Trevor Lawrence on this same Texas roster, I think we're already penciling in Oklahoma versus Texas twice this year, and the winner of that game could very much get a playoff spot. So, yes, I think Texas with Trevor Lawrence is a college football playoff contender. And it's nothing against Sam Ellinger. I just think Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft next year because he's a very freaking good quarterback. This is such a weird thing to contemplate. <laughs> just getting rid of Sam. A great question, though. So thanks to whoever sent it in. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thank there's you, a couple, Patrick. There's a couple more I wanted to throw at you guys. All right. Uh, Florida State. No. Mm, not in year one. So these, yeah, so these are a little bit more of the reaches, okay? Uh, Florida State, no. How about Miami? No. No. Okay. I think there are so many more problems at Miami than just quarterback, although I think quarterback's a huge problem. That's kind of my Texas argument. I didn't do a good job of articulating it, but I didn't want to start pointing fingers. I just, that's why I say I got to see it with Texas. I just, I think there's a little bit, I mean, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, just blew up the staff. The defense has kind of been shredded psychologically, banged up, injured, you know, just got to, got to see more steps forward. 
How about Kentucky? That would be that that would be very uh very like 1990s early 2000s not old world college football but like late old world college football where there was one superstar quarterback that with a, a bunch of other pretty good guys can turn Kentucky into an awesome team. I think and Kentucky fans won't want to hear this, but I think that scenario kind of reminds me of Louisville with Lamar Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> they've got a great quarterback that's going to be able to capable of winning them a lot of games and keeping them in games against the elite, but is still not enough on his own to get them past the elite. Hey, Louisville tied Clemson for the division title. It's just, they lost that game to Clemson and dropped a few other games. That was a little disappointing, but Lamar Jackson did have like 18 wins in two years. I just think it would be very interesting. I think Eddie Grant's a pretty dang good offensive coordinator. I think it would be pretty and 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 you know Stoops is going to have a pretty good defense. I just think that would be very interesting to see what they could accomplish with a quarterback that scares teams. That that just that could be fun. I got three more. You saying that Lynn Bowden didn't scare teams? No, he terrified some. He terrified he, teams. He, he did. He did. That's <laughs> in, yes. a, in a completely different dimension. Right. True. <laughs> true. Uh, uh, Tennessee. Oh, I think that we would all be forced to take Tennessee a lot more seriously going into 2020, although I don't know if I'm ready to bump them up to title contender. But I do think that it's not far out of the picture. Yeah, I think that's probably a no for me. Yeah, no. All right, I got two more. Iowa. Again, I think it's a lot like Wisconsin where you – put Trevor Lawrence and Iowa that is suddenly a team that could win the West and is probably the favorite in the West, but I'm still not letting it get past Ohio state. I think I would, I think I would put, Ooh, yeah, I guess they got, they got to beat Ohio state still. That's tough, but I'd be pretty, I'd have some pretty good temptations. They got one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. They're always going to be good on defense. Their offensive line is going to be solid next year. Their receiver group is actually pretty stacked next year mm-hmm. and they have uh, maybe their best running back they've had in a while coming back. With a quarterback, that mm-hmm. could be your dark horse. Okay. Right? Would would they take the reins off though? Yeah, I was no, gonna say like we've would. seen what a top NFL draft talent. Oh, excuse me, what an alleged top NFL draft talent has done at Iowa. Nate Stanley is that the alleged? I mean, the alleged player in question wasn't wasn't this gonna be the night that Nate Stanley hears his name called in the first round of the NFL draft? <laughs> so are you saying that Iowa is gonna ruin Trevor? It, I, I, is, it, is that more likely than Trevor transforming Iowa? I is think Iowa ruining Trevor. I, I, don't I think, think ruining him. Yeah, I don't think ruining, but his score goes down. You know, yeah. like there's like a plus minus as you move him from team to team, and it's a minus so like, at maybe Iowa. Maybe he pulls Iowa up a little bit as Iowa pulls him down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's they're not going to win the national championship, but he'll definitely get them to the Big Ten championship game. I will say for Nate Stanley coming to his defense, he finished pretty high in my rankings this year with the with the formula rankings, and he was very good in third and long in red zone situations. Which is so that's very good, but also yeah. your your rankings reward consistency over time. And Nate Stanley was one of those players that 
was really, really good to get on all of our radar really early and then never quite take that next step. The consistency in his numbers from season <laughs> to season as I was doing this was like, wait, they, they were like the same numbers. You thought it was a t- season. Yeah, you thought it was a typo. Like I had to double check. I wasn't just recording the same season over and over. He, he went 59.3% to 59.4%. Uh, that's the power of big hands. Uh, just, just a big-handed guy. 59% passer. The last one for me is TCU. No. I guess not. I mean, do you mean Kansas State? <laughs> <laughs> uh, TCU, no. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Probably not. No. But it'd be fun. It'd be, it'd be, it would be be entertaining yeah those he would have uh a couple of like 50 burger games 50 pass attempts uh yeah yeah tcu the 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 tcu variance is hasn't settled enough for me to be confident with them even with sunny cumby and doug meacham get their hands on trevor lawrence and uh trevor lawrence and a whole bunch of just track guys at wide receiver he's going 32 for 50 could be fun though uh our thanks to patrick that was an excellent question uh the next question comes from tab tab says every august me and nine friends have a college football draft the rules are every person drafts one team from each power five conference and one team from outside the power five you receive one point per win two points for a bowl win three points for a conference title and four for a national championship. His question. I'm curious if the cover three guys would have a strategy, a rule change suggestions, or would you even consider holding such a contest between your group? PS for us, the big 12 teams tend to go quick. So as not to get stuck with Kansas. So they've got uh, 10 players drafting. And so I guess that would be where the avoiding Kansas gets stuck uh-huh. because someone's going to get, end up having to be there interesting question tab because um we do this we don't have the exact same rules i mean tom as as the league commissioner do you uh you want to explain the rules of uh, our annual team hey, draft? Who, won? who won this year i did oh yeah did it what did i come in second or something third i can't remember off the top uh, of i was check. hold on hold on i got the i got the let's oh. see here Dooby dooby doo, CFB League. Take your time loading Google Docs. Go ahead. This is great podcasting. Uh, you yeah, you finished in second, like sixty six points behind me. That's yeah. That's not many, right? Or is that a lot? It's it's a lot. I dominated this year. It, well, no, I had no, two no, playoff no, no, teams. No, 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 it was you didn't dominate all year long I, I believe i had the lead through most of the second half of the season but mm-hmm. then you 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 i overtook you yeah, because you i had crushed two the playoffs teams. yeah, yeah. Yes. and that's that's probably i mean it's it's going to be hard to lose this our league if you get two playoff teams but yeah it's similar i mean uh essentially what we do there's eight of us and we each draft power five only including notre dame we each draft six teams and it's the same kind of thing. We get like 10 points for a win against a Power 5 team 
or a conference win, eight points for non-conference wins, or you know, and then we do bowl games, conference titles, division titles, you know, playoff berths, all that kind of stuff. You get point bonuses for that, and then we add it up at the end. So yeah, this is something that we do do. And as far as the question about strategy, you say that everybody in your league is taking Big Twelve teams early. Let them do it while they're taking the fifth best team in the Big Twelve. Take the best, second best team in the Pac twelve. You're going to get more points. Who cares if you get stuck with Kansas if you've got the best team in every other conference? Ooh, that's a good. That's some good advice right there. Mm-hmm. I would. I would. Don't, don't. My my advice is always if you're in a draft of any type, don't do the same thing everybody else is doing. Period. Go the other way. Um. I was I was gonna say a lot of it probably comes down to where you are on the uh, on the draft board because when I've had the the corner spot in the team draft like on the turn in the snake draft I've I felt like I don't by the time it gets to me there are none uh, no obvious playoff contenders so then you're just hoping to get some division title winners and then by the time it comes back again you're flirting with uh bowl teams but if you're if you do have one of those top five top four five six pick in the draft i mean make sure you get one one team you feel good about for the playoffs because those bonus points are going to be where you're going to end up winning yeah and and 2019 did not go well for chip he had the the uh eighth eighth pick in the draft eight and nine at the first turn you ended up with texas washington virginia tech NC State, Mississippi State, and Purdue. It was it was a year from hell for Chip. Here, let me read those back again. I think I can remember their win total results. What was it? Te- Texas. That was an under. Washington. That's an under. Virginia. Oh, Tech. Virginia Tech. Oh, Virginia Tech. Oh, I don't know. That might have ended up push. It might have been a push. Okay. NC State. Uh, way under. <laughs> Mississippi State. Under. Uh, Purdue. Yeah, under. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I got LSU in the second round with, hold on, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, the 13th pick. I got the national champion. That was. Barton, who was on your squad? I went, so my general draft strategy in all drafts, fantasy football, team drafts, whatever, I draft for upsides. So I try to find value and upside. Um, I don't draft the blue chips. Uh, so I, I, I actually had a hit on a few upside teams, but I, I guess I passed. Maybe I should have taken LSU in that second round or something. But uh, I don't know. You have, you have my list in front of you, Tom? Yeah, you had Utah with your first pick. Of course. And second, <laughs> yeah, well, Barton was Mr. Utah last year. In the second round, you took Iowa State. In the third round, you got a hell of a lot of value out of Virginia. In the fourth round, you got even more value out of Minnesota. Then you got Baylor with your fifth round pick, and then UCLA didn't do anything. But it was your last pick. If you if you you're just trying to get a bowl game out of your last pick, that's all you're. Yeah, hoping. man, it would have been nice if, if Baylor could have snuck snuck in to the Big Twelve Championship or won the Big Twelve Championship. But other than that, you know, I can't 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 hate that for having second to last pick of the draft. Yeah, you between Baylor and Iowa State, you were going for a value Big 12 uh, championship game contender, and you hit it with Baylor. Right. And this is it. So I did a, I did a draft on the, the Barton Bud pod with um, my, the co Who? What? Never heard of it. Don't talk <laughs> yeah. about it. What? So we did a, we did a uh, draft the – like we snake draft with two people – 
college ball playoffs, like whoever has the most in the college ball playoffs. And I, I want to say with like my fourth and fifth pick or something, I took uh, Texas and Oklahoma State. Uh, just as a that's an example of like me being like I don't I don't think Texas or Oklahoma State are going to make the playoffs, but I think with Oklahoma off the board, like I would. I, I like the odds. The path. Of, of sort of saying, I'm going to take the field and calling the field Texas and Oklahoma State for the Big 12. Like, those are the sort of strategic moves that I try to make in those sort of drafts. Yeah. Don't uh, don't take NC State before they go 1-7 and seven in conference play. <laughs> With your fourth-round pick. With my fourth-round pick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I should have gone super homer and just taken North Carolina. It would have paid off you better. You should have. North Carolina undrafted by anybody in our league last year. Well, it's all right. I'm all swept up in the uh, lazy river of Sam Howell and Mac Brown. I'll be taking them in the first round next year. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, gents. This has been fun. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back on Monday with notes from the NFL draft and starting to do our spring gleaning in the Big Ten. Gentlemen, thank you very much. You, Ruth.